0: light on, we'd be better off. Okay, we're good now. You know, we finished what we were doing just before I left, and I thought, Lord, what in the world are we going to do in this interim time, because we've got several weeks that uh, we need to make profitable. I didn't really want to just float, because I want to tell you where I'm going to end up if I just float. I'll end up always in the book of Genesis. It's my favorite book. And I said, well, To to avoid doing that, let's start something. I thought, what can I start? It's not going to take very long. Well, it's Mother's Day, so I've got to start somewhere there. So so why not Ruth? So let's do Ruth for several Sundays. What do you say? Gold star, extra credit for anybody who can tell me what book of the Bible Ruth follows. Hey, y'all cheated. Y'all already looked, didn't you? That's all right, my tests are open book, so uh, you can you can use your book it is It's right up front, right behind the book of judges. so if you'll find your place with me in uh, Ruth chapter number one, we're going to look at the first uh, six or seven verses today and let me say from the uh, from the outset that Ruth is a unique book, we can indeed say that Ruth is an anomalous book, and I say that it's anomalous because Ruth has several grammatical anomalies which we find nowhere else in the Bible. Now, since I'm speaking to a bunch of scholars, I can use language like this and say that if we were dealing with the Koine Greek of the New Testament, we would call them a hypox legumina. Am I right? Am I right? All right. But it's not really common to refer to textual Anomalies found in the Greek script or uh, in the Hebrew scripture as an as a hypox, so we refer to them as anomalies. Now, if you're sitting there saying, "What in the world is an anomaly?" Get your pencil out and let me show you a couple of them before I even read my text. Can we do that? All right, here we go. Look with me in verse number one. The writer of the book of Ruth says that this happened. He gives us a time note, sets it in historical context right right from the beginning. And he says that this came about in the days when the judges governed. Do you see that phrase, when the judges governed? That is anomaly number one. That, That word governed is not used with judges because generally judges do not govern. Am I right? They don't, they judge. So when you find this reference anywhere else in your Old Testament and in the book of Judges, you'll find that judges judge, they don't govern. So this happens in the time between the period of the judges and the first king of Israel who was anointed by Samuel and his name was? Saul. Very good. Alright, so anomaly number one. Now anomaly number two is this. Notice with me in... um, In verse number 2, the Bible says in that very last sentence of of verse 2, now they entered the land of Moab. Does anybody's version of Scripture have a different rendering than what I just read? The country of Moab? Moab. Anybody else? Field. Field. What are you reading, Tiffany? You're reading the CSV, Gold Star, or the CSV, because literally this is the field of Moab. Now, every other time in Scripture when this reference is made, it is made the land of Moab. It's normally how Moab is identified as the land of Moab. Matter of fact, it's so common until just about every other translation or version will say, well, hmm, this is strange. Let's just smooth this out and make it what it always is, which is the land of Moab. But the writer here uses a field of Moab, and he's probably indicating that this family who took refuge in Moab wouldn't go all the way into the big cities. They wanted to stay on the outskirts, and maybe they were farmers, so they just stayed in some of the fields of Moab, but it's different. Now, one more anomaly for today, and we're going to get into the heart of this matter. Notice with me in verse number 3. The Bible says, Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband. Underline that. Here is a huge clue that the writer is giving us as to who is going to emerge as the main character of the book. Because men are not identified by their wife. But here this man was identified... By his wife. But let me also hasten to say that the writer is also saying something very significant or maybe insignificant, depending on your perspective, about Elimelech. You know what he's saying about him? And look, I don't, I don't want to get on a stomp about this before I even start preaching today, but I may just. Here's what the writer's saying about Elimelech the writer is saying that he was such a spiritual weenie until the only thing that could be said about him spiritually is that he married a good woman, a spiritual woman. Now, can I say to you that problem has not been eradicated. It's probably even grown worse today. Because there's a lot of men who have so abdicated manhood spiritually until the only thing they'll be remembered by is that they were the husband of a spiritual woman. Now, what a shame. I know this is Mother's Day, but moms, I'd do you a a, a big favor if I could help your man grow up a little bit, huh? And and I want to say to you that one of the things that I have always wanted to see happen is men in a community rise up and be men of God. And, and, And the truth of the matter is, if it hadn't been for women down through the centuries... Where would spirituality even be in the United States of America today? Because so many men are identified by the fact that they just married a good spiritual girl. Now, I don't know how that happened. Must have been in a moment of weakness for her or something. But there's a lot of men today. And look, I I told you I wasn't going to get on stump, but I am. I've got some pastor friends, and I just like to slap (laughs) sometimes. Because they're so dang effeminate it's hard to distinguish. Look, uh, transgender didn't start out there somewhere. I think it started in the pulpit in the United States of America. Huh? I mean, because there's so many men who just know nothing that a man ought to know. Now, boy, I ought to write a country song about that, huh? I know a few things a man ought to know, says one country music artist. But here's what I'm saying. Isn't it time for men to step up and be men? And take the burden of spiritual leadership off of the ladies who have carried it for too long. i got to stop spiritual anomalies before I get in trouble, huh? Let's read this text. What do you say? Verse number 1 of Ruth chapter 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth and they lived there about ten years. Then both Melon and Kilion also died and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab For she had heard in the land of Moab that Yahweh had visited His people in giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Well, decisions, decisions. This is a text about decisions, namely the bad decision of one man. Someone has said that we make our decisions, but in the end, our decisions make us. And I think that's pretty accurate. Have you ever just pondered sometime in your mind and wondered how your life would be if you had made a certain decision at a certain juncture in life? Or maybe you've wondered how life would have turned out, who you would have been what you would have become had you not made a certain decision at a certain juncture in life. You see, because every decision we make has implications. So every decision that we make is important and it should be made in the light of of, of spirituality and certainly in light of what God's Word has to say about decision making. Because make no mistake about it, We make decisions, but decisions in the end end up making us. Every one of us in this room today is in some degree or another a product of decisions that we have already made. And you are going to become even more the product of decisions that you still have to make. So notice the implications throughout this text of the decisions of one man and then finally the decision of this spiritual woman who he took as a wife. So check out with me as we look at verses 1 through 7 in Ruth chapter 1 and consider this subject, decisions, decisions. I think this scripture tells us, this passage tells us Three things about decisions. And the first thing that it says is that choosing to live outside of God's will is a conscious decision. Now check this out. Why do I say choosing to live outside of God's will? Well, I mean, after all, where was the place that God had blessed and ordained for His people to live? In good times and in bad times. In sickness and in health. For richer or for poor, God had placed His people in the promised land which He had given them no matter what. So the story focuses from the entire land down to the city of Bethlehem down to one family living in one cottage and the text seems to follow the story of this one man apart from everybody else gives no indication that anybody else was jumping ship and leaving but this one guy made a decision to leave he chose to move outside of what God had ordained what God had provided what God had promised, and he left that place and went to the land of Moab. So in a very real sense, he made a conscious decision to move outside of the parameters of the boundaries of God's will. Are you with me? Now notice, this decision that he made didn't just happen on him uh, by accident. It wasn't just coincidence wasn't just circumstance. And you see, that's the way it is with you and I as well. When we decide to move outside what the boundaries of God's Word has defined as His will, then it's not something that we just do accidentally. It's because we have calculated and we have made a conscious decision to live outside of God's will. It's something that's thought through. It's something that we intentionally make the decision to step beyond the boundaries. Now certainly old Elimelech knew God's word. Certainly he knew the history of Israel. Certainly he knew the implications. But still he made a conscious decision to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab in order to sojourn there because of a famine. Now... Here's the equivalent of it today. And man, I hear it so often. I hear people who give the implication that they are spiritual-minded and know God's Word. And I hear folks say things like this. They'll say, well, I know what God's Word says, but... Now wait a minute. You just made a conscious decision to say that I am smarter and I know better than God Himself... And what he has prescribed in his word. And I'm going to consciously and purposely step outside the realm of what God has said. And you see that's exactly what Elimelech said. So choosing to live outside of God's will. Hey you don't just wake up one morning and by accident find yourself in the land of Moab. Are you with me? Huh? No you had to plan to get there. And it's the same way with us today. Folk plan to get there. Listen, folk just don't wake up and find themselves in a far place away from God, isolated from the church and from the people of Christ today. That doesn't just happen accidentally. It happened because you made a conscious decision to leave. Now check it out. Notice this conscious decision. I think the text gives us several indications about it. Choosing to live outside of God's will is a conscious decision. However it is not rational it's not a rational decision now let me show you why remember there was a famine that's why they left now did you see the text that uh, Amy Madden read this morning about about famines here's the reality God had said and God has said in about nine different places explicitly in his word that if his people do not obey him and they turn their back on him one of the results is going to be famine. 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 It means that drought comes. Rain ceases to fall. There's massive crop failure Mr. Muck, and people begin to go hungry. Now can I just say to you as a guy who has more than just a little passing interest in agriculture and has had all of his life, do you know that the farmers in the United States of America can and do feed this planet? They do. But can I say to you, I've always won. There is no way with our farmers and our farming technology that there could ever be a famine. But let me tell you what COVID has taught me. And let me tell you what supply chain issues are teaching me now. And let me tell you what I know about God informs me. That ladies and gentlemen, with the way things are happening today, we in the United States of America could be in a food shortage within a matter of months. Did you know that? And why would God not do it? I mean, look at where we are today. Our nation has chosen consciously to step outside of His Word, to live outside of His will, to thumb our finger our nose at him and say that we know better and we're going to run this thing like we do why would God not send a drought and a famine our way I mean I can't think of any good reason why he wouldn't except to say that it's been by grace all these years that he's not done it already so here's here's, uh, Elimelech and he's making a conscious decision to move outside of God's will but hear me that's not a rational decision you know why well let me show you notice what the Bible says the Bible says in verse uh, number 2, the name of the man was Elimelech. That's a compound word in the original language and it's, it comes from, from two words, Eli, El being the root word there which is God and Melech which is the word for king. So his name literally means my God is king. Now how rational is it for a man whose name means, my God is king, which recognizes the sovereignty of God in all areas of life. If he's the king, that means he is the ruler supreme, the potentate, the one who's controlling every circumstance, and the one who's calling all the shots. So this drought is not something that just slipped up on God. It's not something that he can't do anything about, that he's powerless in front of. No, my God is king. He's sovereignly in control. But yet, even though my God's king, I'm going to step out and go over here to Moab and try to find me a collard green patch. How stupid is that? My name says that I ought to be trusting Him, but yet I'm going to take matters in my own hand and resolve this situation and go to a forbidden foreign land and live outside the will of God. Well, it's a scenario that's repeated hundreds and thousands of times every day in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We come on Sunday and we proclaim that He is the Lord of all. He's the sovereign king. And yet we try to run this thing our own self. Well, notice what else. This this is not rational. The word Elimelech means my God is king. But check out where he was from in verse number 1. A certain man of Bethlehem. Another compound word. Bethel is house, helm is bread. So he was literally from the house of bread. Now how ironic is it from somebody who, who, whose name is my God is king who lives in a place called house of bread is run into a foreign place outside of, God's, uh, outside of God's will in order to try to find food. Do you see how irrational and how inconsistent this is? But friend, it's no different than it is with me and you. When we deny the very name that God has given us as children of the King and try to handle things in our own power, and try to manipulate his sovereignty. Are we not doing the same thing that Elimelech did? Check out with me, not only choosing to live outside of God's will not rational, but it's also not responsible. You know, could it be that some of the hard times that come in our life is just God's way of maturing us and growing us and making us more responsible people? Is it not? I mean, you know, you find out who you are when the pressure's on, do you not? And could it be that that's what God's trying to do? And listen, uh, the New Testament tells us, Brothers, count it all joy when you find yourself in trials. And we've not learned that lesson yet, but I'm telling you, it's in the hard times of life that God makes us into mature, responsible people. And here's what we do every time we pop out. We prolong the process a little bit because we're refusing to be responsible. Hey, why did drought come in the first place? Well, drought comes, God's Word says, because His people had turned His back on Him. So here's the responsible thing to do. You know what the responsible thing for a to do? It was to be a spiritual man and repent before God Almighty because God says, if my people return to me, I will take care of them. But you know, here's the reality. Immature people will try every option that's available to them to extricate themselves from a certain situation rather than display faith. That's just the nature of the beast. Faith has got to be the last option on the table before we actually do it. And here old Limelech had an option wide open on the table. Be a man of God, Olimelech, and lead your family to repent. And to come clean before God. Nobody else is bailing on God. Why are you doing it? Because he's irresponsible. You see, actions have consequences. And boy, aren't we living in a land that wants to have actions with no consequences attached to them? Huh? I mean, what's this big deal right now about about abortion anyway? That's all that is. It's folk wanting to live make whatever decision they want to, but have no consequences because of those decisions. It's immature. It's irresponsible. It's devilish is what it is. So check out with me, not only is his conscious decision not rational, not only is it not responsible, but get this, it's also not easily reversed. You know... We, we have this idea that we can make a decision today and turn around and get ourselves out of it tomorrow. But here's something you might ought, might ought to write down. You cannot talk yourself out of something that you walked yourself into. Did you get that? And that's what we want to do so many times. And, and we've even spiritualized that thing, Jerry and made it like, well, I'll live like hell today and just repent tomorrow. No, it that's not the way it works. You can't talk yourself out of something that you walked yourself into. And so many people come in and they want the pastor to resolve an issue that they have wormed their way into for the past ten years, and they want the pastor to fix it immediately. And it just doesn't work that way. You've been walking yourself out of God's will. You're ten years outside of the boundary of God's will. And you think you can just talk yourself out of that? Not necessarily. See, these decisions are not easily reversed. Let me show you this in Scripture. Can I show it to you? You know I can. Look in verse number one. Here was his plan. A certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went down to sojourn. Underline that word, to sojourn. You know what it means? It means he just went down to stay for a little while. He wasn't going to become a citizen or permanent resident. He wasn't going to the Moab consulate to apply for a permanent visa. He was just going down there a little while until the famine let up. So he goes down there to sojourn. But then look what happens in verse number 2. Now they entered literally the field of Moab and they did what? What's the end of verse number 2 say? They remained there. More permanent. They built house. They set up camp. They built fences. They put cows and sheep and goats in there. They were farming in this field of Moab. So you see, this decision's not so easily reversed. Oh, but wait a minute now. Look with me in, look with me in verse number 4, the very end of that. Now they, they lived there about how many years? You see this decision to go down and just stay a little while? It's not very easily reversed. What is the old saying? I mean, it's, it's cliche. It's old hat, but it goes something like this. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer. I don't even have to finish it. Y'all know it. Huh? Isn't that the very thing that happened to old Elimelech with this irrational, irresponsible, Irreversible decision that he made Hey man, think twice Pray hard Consult God's Word Talk to a spiritual-minded man Before you make that crazy, irrational, irresponsible, irreversible, boneheaded decision Check this out. Look, I told y'all, I've been out of pulpit so long, I forgot how to preach. Y'all bear with me, I'll pick it up. It's like riding a bike. It's going to take me a little while, I'll get back in the groove, okay? <laughs> Here we go. Number next, choosing to live outside of God's will is a costly decision. What did it cost him? Well, I think number one, I think the first thing we see that he lost was his sense of discernment. See, when you begin to go down this road in your mind to make a conscious decision to leave God's will, the first thing you can say is gone. You lost your sense of discernment. You don't even know anymore what's right and what's wrong. You see, the writer of the Hebrews had something to say about this in chapter 5 verse number 14 when he said, Strong meat is for the mature. Those who have their senses trained to discern good from evil and right from wrong. But folk who are setting their face toward Moab, they've already lost their sense of discernment. What else did he lose in this process? Well, not only did he lose his sense of discernment, but he lost his sense of danger. 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 Man, don't cross that border. God's already set up and said, don't do this. He's already said, don't take wives of those people. You're not to live among those people. And he lost his sense of danger. So do you know how dangerous it is to consciously make a decision, to step outside of God's will, just to sojourn for a little while out there in the land of sin? you know how dangerous that is? I don't think we do. Because if we knew how dangerous it was, we wouldn't do it. Notice what happens next. Not only did he lose his sense of discernment, and this is always the process, you lose your sense of discernment. And how do you lose your sense of discernment? You stop reading God's Word. You stop fellowshipping with the body of Christ. You lose your sense of discernment. The very next thing you're going to lose is your sense of danger. And you, you'll do anything. You won't even think twice about it. I get on Heather all the time. I know it's Mother's Day. I'll leave her alone, hadn't I? But I tell her she'll be bop up to look. She'll be bop up to Walmart nine o'clock at night. Just get out and walk willy nilly right in there. Son, I don't do that. Call me paranoid, but I've got a I've got a concealed carry permit. You know what I mean? And I pull into Walmart nine o'clock at night, and I'm parking in that dark parking lot. I've got one hand on it already, and I'm like I'm walking like this. So look if you see me doing that in the parking lot, don't approach me. <laughs> I mean, my sense of danger is just up there. (laughs) Heather's is not. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So anyway, lost a sense of discernment, lost a sense of danger, and then look what happens. Then he experienced ultimate disaster. Here's what happened. You may want to write this down. Because of all of this that has happened in his life, Elimelech made a boneheaded decision. How boneheaded was it? It was this. He traded one famine for three funerals. Any takers? One famine he traded that for three funerals. One of them was his own. You see that's what we're dealing with here. And this little seemingly insignificant decision that he made ultimately cost him his life and it cost the life of his two sons and now this woman is left with the most dreaded plight of any woman in the ancient world. She has nobody but really she had nobody before the old sorry scoundrel died, huh? That's how sorry he was. Now she don't have a husband. Now she don't have any sons. Now she is totally dependent upon the grace of God and the mercy of good people to take care of her because she is a social outcast with nobody. Ultimate disaster struck because of a conscious decision that he made that cost him more than he ever thought it would. All right, number next. Let's turn the corner now and let's get off this dude and let's get on. Let's bring the good spotlight in on somebody that's a little bit a better topic. And you know what? It's always a woman. (laughs) Isn't that right? It's always a woman that provides the bright spot in a dark story. And here it's no different. Here's Naomi. We see that with these decisions choosing to live outside of God's will is a conscious decision. We see that choosing to live outside of God's will is a costly decision. But finally with Naomi we see that choosing to live outside of God's will is not a conclusive decision. Thank the good God of heaven, huh? Look, I wouldn't be in the preaching business if all I had to do was stand up here and say, Oh, you crossed the line, you're done. Sorry. You shouldn't have been stupid. (laughs) You know why? Because I'm stupid. I've done it. And I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet, but I'm just telling you, I'll probably do it again. Huh? Thank the good God of heaven... That choosing to live outside of God's will is not a conclusive decision. You might find yourself in the land of Moab today, but i got good news for you. You can come home. It's not a conclusive decision. You're not locked in. The gate's not shut yet. You can still come home. So check it out. Check out Naomi and what happened. And it isn't amazing. My gosh. It took the death of her husband for this woman's inner nature to eventually come out. Now boy, there's something to ponder, man. Is it going to take God getting you out of the way for Him to do in your wife what He's always wanted to do? Are you an obstacle or are you a facilitator? Will you help make her to become everything that God wants her to become just like those wedding vows said you would? Are you holding her back? Check out Naomi and what she did. Verses 6 and 7, there are several verbs here I want you to underline. hope you have your pen. Here we go, look in verse number 6. There are several rapid fire verbs that are in the third person singular feminine. Here we go, number 1, she arose, underline that. In verse number 6, she returned. She might return, underline that. Verse number 6, she heard. Then in verse number 7, she departed. And then underline this while we're in verse number 7, they went. Because we're going we're to put all this together and see what it means. Because if you're living in the land of Moab, O Naomi gives us a spiritual pattern here, a road map as to how it is that you can get back home. So check out what it is that she did. Choosing to live outside of God's will is not conclusive. But the first step to getting back home is this. She had a truth encounter. She had a truth encounter. What does that mean? That means she heard something. It isn't that what the text says. Notice what the text, the text says here in verse number 6. For she had heard in the land of Moab that Yahweh, there's the covenant-keeping name for God, had visited His people and giving them food. So listen, if you're going to get out of the land of Moab, if you're going to come out from the outside of God's will to get back in the center of God's will, the first thing that's got to happen in order to get you to move is you've got to have a face-to-face encounter with truth. And the only way you have an encounter with truth is if you hear God's Word. I'm telling you, it all starts with the hearing of God's Word. For faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing by the Word of God. That's why Grace Church has such a commitment to teach and preach God's Word. Because nothing spiritual is going to happen in anybody without a truth encounter from God's Word. And you know what I mean by truth encounter. That means that you're sitting here, and all of a sudden, the Longos becomes Ramah, And the teacher or the preacher may be speaking to 120 of us, but it's like there's nobody else in this room but me. That's a truth encounter. That's when God's Word becomes personal. You've just had an encounter with the eternal truth contained in God's Word. And that's what happened. Now check this out. Notice when she has this truth encounter, it's about Yahweh, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And in, in this context, what promise does he keep? If my people will repent, I will return to them. If they return to me, I'll return to them. And the rains will come again. You know, it's interesting that we have kind of secularized even the climate in, in, in the United States of America. Because here's what we say all the time. Uh, for instance, Friday, I planted some pasture I was Because I got up and the weatherman said this. He said, it's going to be bad today. There's a line of showers coming in that might even contain rotation. You're probably going to have a chance of hail and some isolated flooding just batting down the hatches because between 10 and 12, it's going to get rough for y'all. So I'm up at daylight planting pasture. And guess what? What? So y'all said it. It didn't rain. That's the way we talk here in the United States. It didn't rain. Can I ask you a question? Who the heck is it? (laughs) What does that mean? It didn't rain. What is the it here? Read your Old Testament and let me tell you what a biblical worldview the Hebrews had. You never find them saying, It didn't rain or it rained. You know what they always say? God sent rain. God shut up the heavens. The environment is never in it. The environment is simply controlled by the king. My God is king. He's the one who controls the rain. I know the maker of the rain. And it's always what God does. So you see here we have Naomi getting word that the promise-keeping God who promised if my people return to me, I'll return to them. She heard the promise-keeping God had visited his people in Israel and gave him food. Now, here's the dealio. Are you with me? It took more than ten years for word to reach her. The famine surely didn't last ten years because there wouldn't have been a swinging Joe survived in the land of Israel. Am I right? There wouldn't have been a cow. There wouldn't have been a, a goat. There wouldn't have been a donkey. That place would be nothing but a desert by now in ten years. So certainly the famine didn't last ten years, but here's the deal. It took more than ten years for word to reach her ear. You know why? Because she's living so far out of God's will. You ever wonder why it is people get mad, get their feelings hurt, just make a conscious decision to leave the church, and they never come back? Because they're so far away they can't even... Hear God's Word anymore and if you're ever gonna come back it starts with a truth encounter hearing the Word of God so number one she had a truth encounter number two of Moab she had had enough huh I mean check this out look with me that's what that's what the scripture says she arose That she might return because she had heard. And look at verse number 7. So she departed from the place where she was. She departed from... She was more than too eager to get out of this hell hole. Huh? I mean, she just was. But you know, here's the reality. I think there's a lot of believers, a lot of God's people today that's living in the land of Moab. But let's just be honest. You ain't had enough of it yet. Would to God that He'd give you a belly full so that you'd come running back across the border of God's will and get back to where He wants you to be. Hey, any of you had enough of Moab? Huh? Jerry? You've had enough of it, haven't you, for a lifetime? I'm telling you. (laughs) See that? (laughs) I'm one of them effeminate preachers. You can't even tell. What identity am I? Huh? Who do I identify with today? (laughs) little <laughs> old man y'all. right, you, you did this, so let me just say it. <laughs> it was this old farmer. Had him a couple of bulls and about 30 head of cows. <laughs> and one day the farmer rolled in with his cattle trailer, opened the door, and a big old bull stepped out. Weighed about 3,000 pounds. He stepped out of that trailer, walked around, he looked up on the hill, all them cows. And was the two bulls that always been there were talking to one. They said, Oh man, my gosh, look at that. What are we gonna do? <laughs> and the smaller bull stepped out. He said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. So the small bull stepped out and he went to paw on the ground and snorting and shaking his head like that. The older bull said, Man, are you crazy? Look how big that thing is. What are you doing? He said, I just want him to know I'm a bull. <laughs> so I just want you to know that I'm a man. <laughs> Look, Jerry did all that. (laughs) It's Jerry's fault. Now let's get back to some spiritual stuff. Look what Naomi did. Huh? She had a truth encounter. (laughs) Of Moab she had had enough. And check this out. With others she had influence. I mean, you can see the leadership in this spiritual woman who had been repressed by a less than lackluster husband. And other folks saw it as well. And notice what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that she got up, verse number 6, she arose with her two daughters-in-law that she might return. All of the verbs in there are she, 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 until you get down to verse number 7, what does it say? And they went. Why did they go with her? I can tell you why because when you have a truth encounter and when you've had enough of living outside of God's will there's a lot of people who are going to see that and they're going to want to go where you're going so you know what evangelism is really about it's about having a truth encounter and I'm going to get up from where I am and I'm going to do something about it I'm going to repent I'm going to return to where I'm supposed to be and watch this When you come, there's going to be folk come with you. Your family will come with you. Friends will come with you. Because I'm convinced today there's a lot of folk living out there in Moab who've had enough of it but just don't know what to do. You might be the key. Not only for you, but to get them returned. Hey, decisions, decisions. We make our decisions... But in the end, our decisions make us. Hey, this day, make a good decision. Get out of Moab and come back home. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that we encounter face to face when we read it. And Father, my prayer today is that somebody in this room has had an encounter with truth. Lord you have spoken to them personally and specifically and today's the day that you're calling them home I pray today God they make a good decision I pray for those here today that have never been born again somehow today you broke through God and you've let them see with faith and repentance that they can have a relationship with you that lasts throughout all eternity God may this be the day that they place their faith in the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross There are others here today that just need to identify with the people of God rather than the people of Moab. And Lord, you're calling them to be a part of this family of faith in Bonifay, Florida. I pray today, God, they'd be obedient. They'd make a responsible, rational decision to obey you. God, whatever it is that you've said, may our obedience be as a sweet-smelling savor that rises before your throne today for your good pleasure. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Dr. John Wilson standing on one side, Colin dollars on the other. The Lord's spoken to you today, and there's a decision that you need to make. There's a step of faith that you need to take. I want you find one of these guys. They'd be glad to pray with you, be glad to point you in the right direction. But in Jesus' name, you be obedient.